Welcome to Parkbench, Theater Simple's mobile interview outpost, where we invite people to have a seat and have a chat. This is the third installment of our four-episode collaboration with the Network of Ensemble Theaters, focusing on Past Forward, the June 2017 Net National Gathering and Symposium. Park Bench is a change of perspective that looks a little like a rolling hill and arrives into an urban environment, a mall, a parking space, or a national gathering, and asks passersby to share their thoughts while sitting and observing their present situation. Founded in the mid-1990s by a small group of ensemble theaters, NET has grown into a vibrant national community of over 350 members, including Theater Simple. The 2017 National Gathering brought together NET members, artists, educators, activists, funders, policymakers, and others with an interest in collaborative creation across disciplines. They gathered for four days just after midsummer on the beautiful campus of the University of Washington. And Park Bench was there, talking with participants about the importance of art and ensemble theater practice and the gathering itself. We generated so much great sound that we have spread it over four half-hour podcasts. Many thanks to everyone who stopped to chat with Simpleton's Andrew Litsky, that's me, and Lisa Holland. Please forgive the noise as we are outside on a busy college campus that seems to be cheerily under constant construction. And now we present part three of Past Forward, the 2017 National Gathering and Symposium. I am Terry Grease, and I am with the Irondale Ensemble in Brooklyn, New York. And I was the uh, I was one of the founders of Net, and I was the first board president of Net for about seven years. At the very inception of the organization. Uh, well, at the when the organization became an organization, I wasn't there at the first idea at, which was probably in the late '80s. But around, since 1992. I've been pretty active. It was really with the, I think, the, maybe the gathering in 2001 in Maine where the issue got forced. Are, is NET going to be a membership 501c3 dues-paying organization? And is it going to have a structure? Or is it just going to continue to be uh, a club, a loosely uh, construed group of ensembles? What were the the early experiences that kind of set you on the path to having a, a long-standing uh, ensemble theater. Okay, so I got very lucky when I when I left uh, college. I started working as an actor fairly quickly, and I was working pretty steadily. So after about, after jobbing around for about um, five years, I. I landed at the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven, Connecticut, and a project that started there became the Seeds of Irondale. And the two people that I started working with there as, as fellow actors, I still work with today, and this is f almost 40 years later. There were two models, two, two basic kinds of models. One was the realized model of the European theaters. You know, they, they mostly existed as ensembles and they had permanent companies. If you looked at the Russian theaters, for example, you know, um, and they were doing extraordinary work because of that. Um, and then there was the incipient model of the American regional theater movement, 
which I think in many cases was supposed to be an ensemble theater movement. But the idea I always felt was that's, whether it can really exist or not, that's what I want to shoot for in my life. Yeah. What's the importance of working in an ensemble fashion? Well, for the work, it gives you a chance to fail more securely. Nothing good is ever learned from success. It's our failures that teach us things. But if we depend on every show being a success, then we're in big trouble. For the community, especially, we deal a lot with youth, but it's a big deal for a kid in a classroom to see the person who taught them a theater game in that classroom appearing on stage. That becomes huge. The words network of ensemble theaters. I think the network is an important thing. The fact that because we do work in, many of us work in smaller communities or even within the city like New York, we're not part of the, uh, the show-busy theater community. So it's great to have people you can call on who have had similar kinds of experiences, who go through, who are trying to uh, romantically accomplish the same goals that we are. And I've made really great friends through this organization. Jerry Stropnicki, John Flax, Eric Bass. These are artists who are consummate artists, who I respect enormously and count as friends, and that would never have happened without the net. Robin. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm with uh, here with Almanac Dance Circus Theater, or for Almanac Dance Circus Theater. Um, we create work that has dance, circus, and theater in it. Uh, it's all devised, all ensemble created, um, and everything we do is run collaboratively. So rehearsals, administrative work, etc. The company's been in existence for about four years, and I've been with the company for two years. So we have about five major works and then a couple of smaller pieces. Mm -hmm. It's really because we can do whatever we want. <laughs> um, and that has, a, with great power comes great responsibility, all of that, right? Um, but it's also because we get to create the work that we want to create and it's immediate. It's whatever we're dealing with at the moment. Um, where sometimes I find scripted work can be a little dated. Uh, I do a lot of design work for script, with scripted work uh, with regional theater companies in Philadelphia and the surrounding areas, um, but it's not often not as current for me. Network of ensemble theaters. For me, if we had to say what was most important, it would be the network part, because it can start to feel like you're in a vacuum a little bit if you don't have other ensembles that you know of. Luckily, Philadelphia is full of ensembles, um, and uh, we all talk to each other, we all know each other. It's a very tight-knit community in Philly. Um, and what's just important, it was important for me to come this year to the um, symposium because I, I proposed a session, it was accepted, that's awesome. Um, and we were debating, we were like, do we have the money to do this? Do we, can we send you all that? Um, and it was important to come because to connect to the national level and see what everyone else is doing. And because we cover so many genres, 
trying to be able to identify as one is really difficult. Hmm. People, dance world is like, you're not really dancing. Theater world is like, you're kind of, you're doing theater, sure. But you also are doing acrobatics. And the circus world is like, you're not really a circus. Um, because we have a lot of, <laughs> a lot wrapped into that. Um, so it's really nice. It will be really nice to check in with a lot of other people and see what they're doing, how they're creating, how their ensemble is structured, how they continue to forge through, you know, 10, 20, 30 years into the future. Does your company kind of look to other ensembles? Well, so we have Pig Iron Theater Company in Philadelphia, and a couple years ago they started a school for advanced performance training. Um, and two of our co-founders were in the first class of that. And then that's where they realize and teach us about ensemble theater as well as skills within that. Um, so our, our, two of our co-founders were in the first class and they realized that they really enjoyed working together and the, they also enjoyed working with this third person and then a company was born. Mm -hmm. um, so Pig Iron Theater Company definitely is, is part of, something... Part we, of the genesis. Yeah, definitely. And we're all very... we have still have relationships with Pig Iron Theater Company um, and so we constantly look to them We're like how do they pay their people how are they doing in this you know they're more than 20 years old so it's also very helpful for us to look at it and yeah. say oh they've succeeded at this and survived I'm Brian Jones I came from Indiana Pennsylvania and before that a lot of other places Hi, I'm Carrie J. Cole. I'm also here from Indiana, Pennsylvania. Jimmy Stewart's hometown, yeah. which I usually add when I say, you know, I'm teaching at Indiana University of Pennsylvania in Indiana, Pennsylvania, home of Jimmy Stewart, because that gets you beyond the confusing geography. I dragged him here, not, not well, not dragged him. I've been talking about um, the Network of Ensemble Theaters for, well, since I met Brian. Um, uh, I discovered it through uh, another conference, the Literary Managers and Dramaturgs of the Americas. So, like, unpack that, unpack that phrase. Network of ensemble theaters. I, ensemble, uh, without a, without a doubt. Um, one of the things that um, Carrie, I think, identified in our program and in our way of working that I'm attracted to uh, is our tendency to work in ensemble, and our uh, our values are pointed in that direction. Are we entirely there? Yet no, conventionally, in most theater programs and most universities, don't work in ensemble. They work in that classical model the of the hierarchical model that was invented to do efficient work in regional theaters, mm -hmm. and and that's not the model that, selfishly, a little bit, that's not the model I'm interested in working in. So how about you? What about this phrase? Um, I, I think of it in similar ways. Uh, like I said, uh, NET is my ensemble mm. um, uh, because I was, uh, I actually, it was right around the 2007-2008 uh, financial crisis where suddenly these regional theaters that had been around since the regional theater movements started were folding and um, looking at um, how they weren't, they were supporting the their institution not the artist mm -hmm. um, and I was at uh, an institution that didn't see me as an artist they saw me as somebody who served other artists. NET became my ensemble because it offered me a network of people who saw me mm -hmm. 
um, uh, for who, who I am as an artist. I think more in terms of the, the network, particularly at gatherings like this, mm-hmm. and, and to be able to uh, introduce uh, one of my collaborators mm-hmm. now into this network and immediately begin to make those connections and um, whether they lead to immediate um, uh, collaborations or collaborations five, ten years from now. Mm-hmm. Was there a moment in your formative path as a creative thinker that changed you? I can think of two. One was um, Robert Wilson's uh, When We Dead Awaken. The work that he had done challenged my notion of what, um, of what theater was, of what uh, a theater piece could be, and um, disrupted. that was sort of the first disruptor of, from what I had been trained and educated to do. And then the second uh, major disruption... I got an opportunity to teach a class based upon a workshop led by Robert Smythe of Mum Puppet Theater. Mm-hmm. But that informed my sabbatical then with Mum Puppet Theater. And I walked in the door at Mum Puppet Theater as a resident artist. What Robert wanted me to do was to put down my draftings and put down my way of working. And he gave me a couple of challenges. Here's some objects that I want on the stage. Here's some things that I want you to do. And in this production of the Puppet Master of Woods, these are the things that you need to create. Here's the space. Here's the tools. Here's a couple people. Go to it. And I don't want to see you drawing in your sketchbook. I love it. And that was really transformative. Yeah, it was great. It was wonderful. If something scares me, I know I need to do it because that that is that that fear factor is immediately telling me of a level of investment I may not have been aware of. The production that I um, co-created this spring, which I called Electriad, so we were uh, taking the uh, story of Electra and Orestes at the end of the Trojan War, dealing with what happens when war never really ends from the perspective of the home front, the warrior, and the displaced. Mm. And I didn't realize until sitting here on this park bench that that process for me started in 1992. Um, I was studying in London and had the chance to see uh, Teatro de Complicité's Street of Crocodiles. Um, and the, uh, the fact that it was so movement-based and so visual, um, that told a story to me. And that was the longest I had been outside of performing at that point in my life. Um, and uh, I remember afterwards sitting in the theater um, crying. What is buzzing around in your head right now? Uh, Mark Valdez is uh, always present for me for, for Net because he, he's the reason I come. And so I know he's going to be here and I, I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing him. The pre-conference session, particularly uh, what Michael Brown brought to the Which was? Uh, pre-session, was uh, this notion of uh, leadership and roles in creating a devised piece. It was placed exactly right because it was a three-part pre-session, so we did some devising, and then we Mm -hmm. did some devising again, and uh, we generated some some work and just some little pieces. And and then to have him come in at the end of that and and help me reflect on what had just happened in the room Mm -hmm. um, threw me into an interesting position because uh, one of... Carrie shepherding jobs is to remind me that I'm an individual artist mm-hmm. and I don't 
I don't take care of that individual right. artist very often or very well. It's buzzing around in my head. Um, possibilities, uh, connections. Uh, it's connections. I, I've made cool. so many good connections with you, with others, uh, that um, are, are seeds for sort of like fertile relationships that can carry on. I, that sounded kind of odd. No, no. But... It's, 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 we're going to create a lot of compost this weekend, and we're going to dump it all in the pile and see what goes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're working on the soil here. Ladies and gentlemen, Christopher Banch. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Chris, tell me how you got, how did you end up here at the, the net gathering? I um, have been an ensemble theater creator for the last 18 years. Mm-hmm. Well, um, ensemble theater was what I trained at school. I went to Del Arte International F- School of Physical Theater. Uh, so that's basically what they trained me to do. Mm-hmm. And then after I graduated from there, I did that for 17 years. Mm-hmm. I've used a lot of different models over the years mm-hmm. because I was like, you know, the first thing I had no idea what the show was going to be. And, mm-hmm. and I had a title mm-hmm. and we created the title and we, me and my partner hashed it out like for hours to find the perfect title. And then the play unfolded from the title. The second show I created was an adaptation of the red shoes and I called it the red nose. It was a clown adaptation of the Hans Christian Anderson red shoes. So I adapted it, created this. I mean, I adapt, I took the story and then I adapted and created my own story around it. Coming out of the Del Arte world, yeah. would you say that that, that baseline lineage, tradition yeah. that you were steeped in, does that inform Hello. where you go forward from here? For me, it was everything, everything for the first like five or six years was all on my feet stuff, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is del arte specialty mm-hmm. you know it's like or at least when i was there that's what it was it's like let's create in the moment you know and then just keep keep creating and then then we have a thing who would you say your influences are influence uh on my work uh and it doesn't have to be anybody you know personally it can just be somebody you've seen great uh in my clown work bill Irwin, david shiner definitely huge influences on my work ron foreman who was my clown teacher at del arte uh, Joan Shirley, who is the, one of the founders of Del Arte and su- super fierce, awesome theater creator, so who's, you know, much. not standing near me right now, so I'm saying nice things about her, but she's around <laughs> the corner. Has there ever been things that, like, after you're watching it, like, it catches your breath or it makes you pivot in your world and your perception of what's going on? I feel the older I get that that's what a play should do. Mm. I think yeah, it should either answer questions that we have in our own lives mm-hmm. or uh, or inspire you to inspire you in some way. So I think it needs to be inspirational or, or question answering, mm-hmm. you know? Like when I see a great performance of, of a piece, whether it's a written play or a device piece, you know, it, it you know, when, when I look at that and I'm like, that's the thing that I was asking myself, <laughs> you know, that's, mm-hmm. That that resonates with me, so I think I feel at least this is this is new, mm-hmm. like a calling towards that right. in, in some way. And I don't know if that will change the way I devise or not. Probably will. I'm Tara Hussein. I am with Theater Grotesco. I'm from Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we do devised ensemble work. I went on and did classical music and was int- became interested in experimental classical singing and contemporary classical singing 
and um, and then I got frustrated with the opera world and ended up at the Lecoq School in France. When I really started thinking about models and when I started thinking about what didn't work about the form that I was in, when I started thinking about why why opera wasn't what I wanted it to be, or why why I wanted to leave it in intermission, even though I loved doing doing that kind of work, why I didn't want to to be there. <laughs> so I think it was I think it was suffering through operas that galvanized me to, to start creating new work. Well, I think it's important because it empowers artists to tell the stories that are within them and to sort of to search to search in what's often um, what can be like a, a pretty difficult process of seeing what what really works and what really doesn't mm -hmm. to to sort of to dig and produce something that's true and real and authentic for this moment in time in the world. I think the more that we can do that, the more that we can empower people to just struggle with other people that they trust to develop work that speaks to all of them in that group, the more that we'll push the, the art forward and the more that we'll have a positive effect on the world. The words, network of ensemble theaters. I guess I'll choose theaters, that it's a plural and that it's, you know, that I would hope that this is a space for many different kinds of artists creating many different kinds of work. To, to be together and support each other. I guess I would choose theaters. Ideologically, <laughs> I, I like that idea that, that meant that people developing many different kinds of work could come together and support each other. And also people that sort of lie outside of the mainstream mm -hmm. sort of theater culture. What are your hopes for the next four days? I just hope to have unveiled real conversations with other artists who are doing work that is important to them and hopefully people who are wildly different from me. I'm Lucia and I came in a red jeep. Part of why I'm here is has to do with Double Edge Theater and mm -hmm. my recent conversations with them. After the election, mm -hmm. I reached out to Double Edge and um, Mano Bizarro and Crystal um, to start talking about public space mm -hmm. and about what it means to make large-scale work in public space in a in a in the Trump era. Mm -hmm. For me, as um, someone who grew up as an orphan, uh -huh. um, my notions of belonging, like belonging is something that I struggle with. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's one thing for me to sort of create a f sort of family ensemble mm -hmm. that I work with. And um, like that, feels like I'm making the world. I think I'm at a place right now where I'm just wanting to connect more and more with other makers mm -hmm. and especially people who are working in the public realm. What do, what do you think have been your biggest influences as you found your path? Visual art and classical music. Yeah. 
you know, what I didn't have in family, I have made up for in, in teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and mentors that have been really huge in my life. I think that uh, when I was 11 or 12, I discovered Christo. And I remember thinking, this is a scale that I understand. Frederick Law Olmsted, mm-hmm. um, and thinking about public space and sort of egalitarian values in public space was pretty big for me. Lewis Hyde also, um, and his ideas about sort of reimagining the social social compact through mm-hmm. giving, receiving of gifts, that's been pretty huge for me. Doing an opera gig and realizing, oh, this would be so much cooler if. Mm-hmm. And usually those, it would be so much cooler ifs were about if this were outside, right. if this were free, if everyone had access to access- this. Yeah, you know, yeah, if, you know, if if people could move, if people could, you know, if right. the audience could dance, if people could mm-hmm. picnic together. So these very kind of... Um, Kind of, for me, there were lots of slow realizations like that. If any of your discoveries or realizations could shine a light for someone coming behind you mm-hmm. who might be kind of following on a, on a similar path, what would you hope that you could shine forward? Pick up the thread that you can pick up and start. Uh-huh. Um, I would say don't worry about how. Don't think about how you're going to do something until the how presents itself. Because how is an idea killer. Another way of putting that is trusting the integrity of the idea and its ability to manifest itself. The truth is, is that the bigger and the more crazy the idea is, the more people want to be a part of it. I went to um, Stacey Klein's um, uh, presentation this morning. She was talking about identity and double edge and and kind of the way that that company has grown and and, um, sort of folded in. The original intent is still functioning and yet there are all of these other layers also functioning. I'm really struck by their model Mm -hmm. and how they're making their work and I'm really intrigued by it. Even after two visits I'm like, yes. Seems like a big mystery, but at the same time, when I experienced that work, I felt that sort of deep history in, inherent, right. like deeply, deeply, um, sort of penetrating the work. Name's Larry Bogad. My, for my living, I teach guerrilla theater and performance art at UC Davis. Um, but the creative work that I do varies um, between sort of really quickly stitched together ensembles for sort of guerrilla theater work Mm -hmm. or um, working with unions or environmental groups or human rights groups to think of ways to use performance to make the campaign more convincing or more charismatic. What are your inspirations? Um, What what led you to this very particular place that you inhabit. I think some of my ancestors are the people that I really appreciate. There's a few. On the one hand, there's like the Indians of all tribes group that occupied Alcatraz and did it really dramatically and had an amazing manifesto and, and humor to it. And they occupied Alcatraz symbolically and practically. Or the civil rights movement, the sit-ins that I found to be, they were, there was a performative element to them. They were also very you know, frightening to go sit down at a lunch counter and get beat up and arrested, et cetera. But those folks talked about sociodrama 
they used the terms of drama and they trained and they rehearsed behind the scenes. And then just straight up groups like ACT UP, that ACT UP by just getting in people's faces but using great design and great guerrilla theater techniques got senators to change their votes. I mean, who ever wins like that? They did. Mm. You know, so I'm inspired by a group like ACT UP. The words, network yeah. of ensemble theaters. I think they're all, they're all pretty key. Um, I think what makes this group unique is the ensemble aspect, is the fact that it is a group, these are groups that don't just embrace one main auteur who runs everything or something like that, that there is a more collectively, collective ideas of creativity or identity, which I think is really awesome. And I think that comes through in their politics too, like it's very important to them to carry progressive values into it. Again, it's like when the form is part of the content and what I mean is like when you're watching an ensemble work together in this beautiful way, there's content to that. It's not verbal, but it's like, see, we can all work together in this wonderful way collectively. So Shireen, what's been your biggest uh, surprise or most delightful moment so far? Uh, I think it was when one of our uh, presenters in the opening plenary, uh, who is native, was talking about how we've lost two generations, uh, or two generations we've gained of um, people who know how to report, that are good reporters, but we've lost two generations of storytellers, and that because of technology and how and the internet and Facebook and that really sort of resonated with me I think that's true and how can we get that back as we move forward that was one of the things that really just hit hit home for me is there anything that's happened today that's kind of fizzling and sparking in, in your head that's rubbing up against other ideas that came up today I mean I think a lot yeah I, I uh, there's something another participant Alex Torres said as we were walking it was like why isn't all conferences about legacy and future. I mean, that's essentially what it should be about, like, of where we come from and where are we going. Like, mm -hmm. you could put every sort of convening in that framework, and mm -hmm. it would be rich. The conversation would be rich. Uh, my name is Mina, mm -hmm. and I'm from Pangea World Theatre in Minneapolis. Great. So Pangea brings, uh, uh, so Pangea is, brings people together from different backgrounds, ethnicities, and creates work together. Mm -hmm. So really, our theater company is multidisciplinary. It um, uh, has human rights in its mission statement, and I can't remember the mission statement to save my life. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. but really, like we believe in circle. We believe in bringing people together and really uh, mining people's collective wisdom. In the terms of, so the phrase, network of ensemble theaters, uh -huh. which of those words draws you more, sparkles a little more brightly? For me, ensemble. Talk to me yeah, about that. Definitely. Because I feel like we have to create ensemble wherever we, wherever we go. Um, ensemble is completely important. It doesn't mean that everybody thinks the same, mm -hmm. but that people can express their differences in a way that is held uh, in ki with kindness and compassion mm -hmm. by everybody in the room. I mean, I think that just growing up in, in India with it's all its difference. Mm -hmm. Growing up in, in a country where you have different languages, different foods, uh, people are around you are, you know, like, and there's, yet there's a lot of unity. I mean, I grew up in that unity, mm -hmm. uh, at least in my mind. And uh, I don't know if it's romantic or not, but you know, whatever. But and also, I think that the pivot points for me are, uh, the, uh, are, are really like street theater. In, in India, mm -hmm. which is very much in that uh, concept, the concept of ensemble really is part of that. 
and um, and and um, uh, and especially like I would name an influencer uh, for me for street theatre as a man called Badal Sarkar, who nobody knows. I would you know, yet. but he he also <laughs> yeah yet, uh, but he also defines something called third theatre, which Tell is out, uh, which is outside of the uh, proscenium, outside of the stage, in the street, really performing. And he performed. He created work with uh, ordinary people, and they were amazing. And so I really, I, I respect his work a lot because he really worked to, uh, you know, it was all, his work was all about social justice. And then another pivot point for me is really uh, the theater of India, which is non-linear, non-Western, non, uh, 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 and also ca- comes from, you know, traditions like Kathakali are part of the Indian theater, mm-hmm. just as much as traditions of like the folk, the folk theater, which is very different, mm-hmm. but they have a different dramaturgy. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that dramaturgy has been very important in my growth as an artist. And my growth of like, and, and my growth in, for example, the practices that we create in Panjia around things like space and the politics of space in st- on stage when we're standing on stage and how that works and how cultural memory works with bodies and how, you know, the kinds of things that we, uh, the, 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 the things that we come with into a room. It's beautiful just to meet a group of people who think about ensemble the way we do. Mm-hmm. What I would love to talk a little bit more about is issues around aesthetics. And uh, really, and to kind of dig a little bit deeper into aesthetics and understand that this country is actually built, even though there is um, so much work and the di- work is very diverse. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate everything that I've seen. Mm-hmm. But it also comes from a very strong Western, Western aesthetic. And I feel like we just really need to honor other aesthetics, like the Native American aesthetic that we saw, the, you know, that we've been seeing too, um, and or, or, or things that happen, like, you know, the stories that are told. And uh, the, so I, I, there, 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 uh, there has to be an opening for that. Mm-hmm. And there has to be, we have to actually have critical kind of like, there, there has to be critical um, response, not critical in the sense of very critical, but there has to be like a, attention paid to that. Attention must be paid. And uh, so, yeah. that, so that we, uh, and it's, it'll enrich everybody. Right. That kind of attention will enrich everybody. So one, of, one of the things that keeps me coming back to net is a different value system. So I guess that's the question I would always keep asking. Like, how do you bring you and challenge your own audiences? It's not just about the world, you know, um, and, and, and like how, because if we are responsible for pushing that forward too. Yes. It's a challenge. And I feel like Eric, for example, Eric has done an amazing job of that at Sandglass Theatre. There are particular examples everywhere around us mm-hmm. that of people having done that, having yes. challenged their audiences in rural Vermont or, you know, in Minnesota or whatever. You know, it's like when I bring a white transgender artist to Pangea, audiences don't expect to see that. And I'm like, I'm always delighted by that. Mm-hmm. You know, when we did our Morphology Theatre Festival, we opened it with a white transgender artist. It was amazing. That sounds yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I feel like those are the surprises that we need to keep bringing at our audiences so that people get used to seeing stuff on stage. Thanks for listening to Park Bench. Many thanks to the network of ensemble theaters, and particularly Alicia Tonzik and Park Cofield, without whom this iteration of Park Bench would not have been possible. Thanks also to the University of Washington School of Drama. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can contact Theater Simple at thsimple at gmail.com. And you can learn more about Theater Simple at theatersimple.org. That's T-H-E-A-T-E-R simple dot O-R-G. Our music is the work of Rob Whitmer. 
and the amazing Chandra Cogburn. And you can find out more about her at ChandraCogburn.com. That's C-H-A-N-D-R-A-C-O-G-B-U-R-N.com. The Park Bench interviews were conducted by Lisa Holland and Andrew Litsky, who also edited this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you on the Park Bench someday. Have a seat and tell us your thoughts. We'll tell the world. <laughs>